We are in the book of James chapter one, and I hope you've been reading along with us so that you can already have spoiler alerts and know where I'm going. James chapter one, verse nine, uh, going through verse 12. James chapter one, verse nine, going through verse 12. If you could read it with me, let's read. Let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he is exalted. But the rich in that he is made low, because as the flower of the grass, he shall pass away. For the sun is no sooner risen with a burning heat, but it wherewith the grass and the flower thereof falleth, and the grace of the fashion of it perisheth, so also shall the rich man fade away in his ways. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised for, to them that love them. And I'm going to read it one time in the in the King James or into we read the King James, but rather in the NIV version. It says believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation since this shall pass away like a wildflower for the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant it blossoms falls and its beauty is destroyed in the same way the rich will fade away even while they go about their business blessed is the one who preserves under trial because having stood the test that person will receive a crown of life uh, hallelujah that the lord has promised to those who love him we're going to talk to you this morning about this subject leveling the playing field leveling the playing field you may be seated in the presence of god as we go into this third installment of our sermon series true faith learning how true faith really works and how true faith really lasts in a faith that will last not just a few days, but true faith that will last all the way until the end of time. We're looking for a faith that cannot be shaken by a pandemic. We're looking for a faith that cannot be shaken by economic situations. We're looking for a faith that cannot be shaken by the number of people who come or fall away from the faith. We're looking for a faith that lasts through all sorts of trials and all sorts of tribulations, through all sorts of hard we're looking for a faith that keeps us grounded in the Lord. And James is demonstrating in the book of James, the brother of Jesus is telling us what true faith is. And he has many of nuggets in his small book that tell us what true faith is. It's important for us to know this today. Why is this relevant? Because many people are starting to deconstruct or tear down the tenets of their faith and trying to reel, reel in their faith and rebuild their faith to find out is, what is it that I really believe and why do I believe what I believe? And so it's important for us as believers. I know there's a lot of stuff on TV that we can grab. I know there are a lot of doctrines out there. I know there's a lot of teachings, but nothing beats being able to know the Bible for yourself. I'm glad that you show up on Sunday mornings. I'm glad that you show up on Wednesdays to listen, but I want you to be able to echo what I'm saying. And what I'm saying to you is merely a confirmation of what God has already spoken into you in your hearts as you have studied his word. Because before one jot or tittle of his word shall pass away, heaven and earth shall pass away. 
Opinions will pass away. Thoughts and ideas and philosophies will pass away. But if we want a true faith, a faith that will last, it should be built only on the unadulterated word of God. James is helping believers today get a solid footing on their faith and what their faith should look like when it's lived out loud. It's one thing to have a faith on the pages of a book, but how does faith look when I clock in on Monday morning? How does faith look when I'm in line at the grocery store? How does faith look when I'm at I-94 stuck in traffic because they decided to take out all of the exits at one and I'm trying to get somewhere and it's taking me an hour to get where it would usually take me 10 minutes to work how does faith work when i've been sitting in line for an hour and all of a sudden the car just comes up out of nowhere and cuts me off how does faith work then how does faith work when I get a bad diagnosis from the doctor? How does faith work when I'm in the marriage and I'm having trouble in my marriage? How does faith work when I have sickness in my body and I have to reconcile the fact that God does want me healed and that healing is the children's bread, but at the same time, for some reason, God is seeing fit not to bring healing into my body. How do I reconcile that I love God and be like the three Hebrew boys that says, even if God does not deliver me, I still believe that he's able. I still believe that he's sovereign. And even if things don't go the way I want them in life, even if I have to suffer a little bit for, 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 for the sake of the gospel, that even if I suffer, God will make it all right in the end. Because I heard the word of the Lord say that those that suffer with me will reign with me. I've come to tell you that if you want to reign with Christ, suffering will sometimes have to come your way. When I was little, they had a saying that was called no cross no crown everybody say no cross no crown everybody wants a crown everybody wants a trophy but nobody wants to do the real nitty-gritty work of what it takes to be, be a believer and a follower in Jesus Christ that means I follow him when I feel good and I follow him when I don't I follow him when things are going well I follow him when things are getting worse because my faith is not based off of feelings my faith is not based off of circumstances my faith is not even based off of me but my faith my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name, on Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is seeking sand. All other ground is seeking sand. <laughs> Trust in him. I'm a musician, so sometimes songs come to me that way. Trust in him who will not leave you whatsoever years may bring. When your earthly friends forsake you, still more closely to him cling. Build your hopes on things eternal. Oftentimes we have learned in our life to build our hopes on things that are not eternal. We have to live in the world. We have to be a part of the world. We're not saying that you can't live in the world, but many times we leave our primary focus on things that really do not matter. We hear words like like and share and retweet and floss and boss and grind and repeat and rinse and go back and do it some more. Why? Because we have a world where we look and value our self-worth based on how many likes we get or how many shares we get on social media or how many retweets 
tweets or if we're ahead of a, a, a of an organization how many people are in our uh, organization and James is speaking to a world in a different time but he's speaking to people who are much the same as we are today because irregardless of what time or era you live in there are some things some emotions and some feelings that transcend all time periods Solomon in his wisdom as he began to pen Ecclesiastes that we believe that he wrote said there is nothing new under the sun that's why the Bible is just as irrelevant, uh, as relevant rather, today as it was yesterday. Why is it relevant? Because times change, clothes change, but people vastly remain the same. Times will change, situations will change, but sometimes people will remain the same, which means that the Bible can speak to my issues today just like they did to my issues of yesterday. And James is speaking to the world today, and he's giving us something refreshingly. James is speaking to some of us with our common insecurities this morning. He gives us a word of comfort, and he gives us a word of healing, and he gives us a word of perspective for we live in a world that tries to define us and our worth by our status. We live in a world that often ascribes us of how we live in the world by how much money we make, how much is declared on our W-2 statements, and how much we have in the bank and how much we have in the house, or at least the appearance of resources. We measure and size people up based off of what we think they do have and don't have. As a matter of fact, we classify you by the type of job you have. Do you have a white-collar job or do you have a blue-collar job? as if a job wasn't good enough. We're always trying to find a way to make ourselves feel better by making somebody else feel worse. We're, we're always trying to size up people by how big our house is or what company we work for or how big our banks or brokerage accounts are or what the neighborhood is that we live in or the schools that we go to. We'll look and when people say, where do you live? Many of us will say with pride, I live in Royal Oak or I live in Troy, I live in Birmingham, I live here. And what you're trying to say when I say that, when you say that is what you're trying to say, you know, everybody can't live here so that makes me somebody <laughs> and because we need to be defined by where we live and where we work and how much money we have because a lot of times we're creatures of low self-esteem because we really don't realize the, the what God has put in us and we don't know the worth and value we have with Christ these things show up in our personalities many times especially with us as guys because if I ask you who you are most guys are going to tell you what they do we identify ourselves by what we do and what type of job we have. And, and that's, that's an experience of mistaken identity. They have a case of mistaken identity. If I ask you who you are and you say I'm a stockbroker, you have a case of mistaken identity. Your mama did not name you stockbroker and that's not what God may have called you to be. You are who God called you to be and you happen to be in stocks. If I ask you who you are and you begin to tell me what you do, what that lets me know is you're suffering from a case of mistaken identity because you really don't know who God has made you 
to be. For some, it's not wealth. For some, it's relational wealth and influence. The world is obsessed with how many likes and followers we get and retweets and followers and shares. And if you're in a leadership position, as I said earlier, how many people do you oversee? There are some pastors right now across America that are doing a wonderful job, but they only have 10 members. And because they don't have a thousand, they feel insecure about what God has called them to do. But I'll tell you today, if God gave you that 10, be faithful to that 10. Be faithful to your assignment. And if you're faithful over a few, God will bless you over many. And if he never gives you many, he will reward you for stewarding well what he gave you. Now, there are some pastors that are just fine with 10 members. They're not insecure and, and things like that. And there are some that have big churches and that, that doesn't bother them that they have a big church. There are some normal people who aren't insecure, but many people are driven by their insecurities. They feel like they're not looking good enough. They're not pretty enough. They're not rich enough. They're not smart enough. They don't have enough degrees. They don't have enough power and status and influence. The things that men often seek and some from a healthy place desire to serve humanity and mankind. There's nothing wrong with having things. There's nothing wrong with having a high position, but make sure that that thing or that high position does not have you. And it is not what helps you ascribe your worth and your value to yourself. You're valuable because Jesus made you valuable. But many people in our world seek validation from an unhealthy place because they need to validate their own self-worth because they've listened to the lie from the world that says if you don't look this way and act this way and have this much and do this and belong to that organization that you're less than. I've come to speak to somebody who feels like you're dealing with an inferiority complex to let you know that if you love Jesus Christ it doesn't matter how much money is in your bank. Lay that up for yourself. Treasures on earth where moth can come in and, and steal but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where thieves can't break in and moths can't break in and steal there's nothing wrong with having that stuff but James is encouraging us this morning he said the person of low estate should be happy why because you realize that even without money in your pocket you are important to God Without a six-figure salary, you are important to God. You might not be able to eat steak. You might be eating Vienna sausage, but they eat just as well. And now they're twice as expensive. But you matter to God. You might not be able to physically do the things that you used to do and you equated your worth in the world. Come here brothers and because we do this by your ability to do this and your ability to do that and your body, your mind says to do it and your body says uh uh. <laughs> your mind says I'm going to do this and your body says we need to have a talk about this. We're, we're not going to do this today and you say oh yes we are and your mind says your body says oh no we're not and you push your body and you wake up the next day and your body said didn't I tell you that we weren't going to do all those things and you feel like less than a man because you couldn't do what you used to do. Less than a woman because you couldn't produce what you used to produce and God is saying those things don't make you valuable. You're valuable because I have chosen you.
And just like Israel, I have ingrained your name in the palm of my hand. Your worth or value doesn't come from your socioeconomic status. We are in a world that constantly has us reevaluating ourselves and building our confidence on false indicators. This does not mean that we should not hope to be all that God is calling us to be, but it does mean that our worth is not tied up in what the world considers value. I'm not telling you to be lazy and to be a bum and not to accomplish whatever God has you to accomplish. If he's telling you to go to school, that's fine. If he's telling you to get a PhD, that's fine. If he's telling you to start a business, that's fine. But don't let that become how you indicate and measure how your worth and value is. Because many of us have wasted valuable time and the pursuit of things that we feel would increase our value and our worth. However, if you're a believer, you're already known and celebrated by God. In a world where the scales of value are often tipped by false projections and what true success is, it's good to know that God uses a different scale. Ecclesiastes 3 and 20 says this of all of us. All go to the same place. All come to dust. And to dust all return. I've come to tell you that if, if Jesus doesn't come back before the, before the time happens, at some point in time, no matter whether you have a 4,000 square foot house, a 5,000 square foot, or a 700 square foot house, there's a six foot grave waiting on you. Guess what? What you have doesn't determine who you are. We, in a, in a materialistic Western culture, we often try to ascribe ourselves and our value. And there are many people that are depressed because they just don't have what the other person has. They just don't look like the other person looks. If you're short, you're looking at somebody tall, saying, I wish I was tall. If you're tall, you're saying, I can't find any clothes for myself. I wish I was short. If you're skinny, you're saying, I look like a rail. I wish I had some meat on my bones. If, if you got too much meat on your bones, you're saying, I wish I could let somebody borrow some of this meat on our bones. Are you never happy, never satisfied, because you're always trying to look at yourself, how you think somebody else would view you, instead of how Jesus views you. James says believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. That doesn't seem to make sense. If you're low on socioeconomic status, how are you high? Because Jesus tips the scale. Jesus levels the playing field. It's wonderful in the body of Christ. You know why I like church? Because in church, everybody's on the same playing field. You see in biblical times that there were people who may have been slaves, there were bishops, people that had different titles and authority in the church, not based off of what they had, but the character that was on the inside of them. I submit to you today, maybe it's time for the world to start reconsidering what we call valuable. God does not evaluate your worth by what you have. How do you know that? Because John tells me that God poured out his love on everyone. Because in John 3, 16, he said, for God so loved the world, yes, the rich world, the poor world, 
The black world, the white world, the, the Asian world, the Hispanic world, the, the, the all of the world, the cosmos. He loved them. How? How did he love them? That he gave his only begotten son for them. That who would ever believe would not perish but have everlasting life. Touch your neighbor and say you are included in that. So that whoever believes in him would not perish. They would have everlasting life. He died for you. God demonstrated, Romans 5 and 8, his love for us. That while we were yet sinners. <laughs> A lot of times we look at people kind of funny when they sin. And we turn our nose up. But don't you realize at some point in time, you were a yet sinner? And to be honest... Except for the blood of Jesus, you are still sinner. Because we all sin and fall short of the glory of God, but his grace and blood and mercy covers us. He dies for everyone. James is letting us know that we should not waste our lives, never being happy until we reach a certain level. Many people waste all of their life saying, if I have this much money to make, I'll be happy. If I have this type of spouse, I'll be finally happy. If I have this or that, I'll finally be happy. When I make this much money, when I have this type of house or this type of spouse. But guess what? When we put an eternal lens on things, we can alleviate that thought because all it is is a carrot in front of a horse. Now, for those who are listening to me that don't know what that phrase means, that it means that some people used to make horses go by putting a carrot on a stick because the horse wanted to eat the stick. He wanted to eat the carrot and you put the your mule and you put the carrot in front of his mouth and he'll kill himself working all day long trying to get that carrot, never realizing that it's dangling in front of him, but he'll never be able to attain it. And you'll work him till he works himself almost to death. That's what's wrong with us in America. We're always dangling carrots in front of people, teaching them that you should never be satisfied and that you should never be happy. And you got a house when 98% of the world doesn't. And even though you have a house, you can't be happy because your friend now got a bigger house and that's a carrot that you're walking around after. Now you got to have a better job to walk around after that carrot. And now you got so much on that job. You don't have time for friends or family. You don't have time for friends and devotional. And when you finally get that house and you finally get it paid off and you say, it's time for me to retire, you realize that now my body hurts and I can't do any of the things that I really want to do because I wasted all my life trying to follow this carrot. Wasted all my life trying to get this car so I could sit next to somebody at the stoplight for 30 seconds that I never see again to impress somebody who does not know me and does not care. And I still got the car note at the end of the month. Still have the house note at the end of the month. Still have the bills that I'm over extenuating myself. Not because God is calling me to more. Sometimes he is. But because I can't ever feel like on the inside that I am enough. Always reaching after the next best thing. Always trying to overachieve. Achievement is a good thing. I like to achieve, but I can tell you, if you're not healthy on the inside, you can try to overachieve and you will cause pain to yourself and other people trying to prove something to yourself that God has already proven. Because guess what? You are enough. Why are you enough? If you know Jesus, I heard the word of the Lord say, and now that same spirit that raised Jesus from 
the dead now lives on the inside of you and will quicken your mortal bodies because he's in you and he's enough. Therefore, you are enough. What say we then that if God be for us, then who can be against us? Because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. When we put an eternal lens on things, we can alleviate the pressure of never being enough, never making enough, or never having enough, or secretly always feeling that I'm not enough. And if I do this, maybe I'll be important to people. If I do this, I feel like I'm somebody in society. Who more can you be that God himself sent his son to die for you? Jesus decided that you were worth it. And if you give God your life based on grace, he will die for you. And there are two positions that Paul gives us, or James gives us this morning. Position number one we've been talking about are those who are under pressure to get it. Now, there's a time when you're young and you might put forth a little bit more energy and do a few more things and work a little harder to get some things. I understand that. I, I, I've done that myself. But do you know about balance? Do you know when you're over extenuating yourself, when you're moving too fast, trying to accomplish something that in the end is not healthy and is going to destroy you? Why? Because you're not trying to achieve. You're trying to outrun your insecurity. But number one, James talks to those who are under pressure to get it. But then number two, James begins to talk to those who are under pressure to keep it. Because there are some people that already have achieved status. There are some people who have achieved houses and they're always never being able to enjoy what they have because they're worried about if they're going to lose it. There's somebody that's walking out looking at somebody and everybody's always envying the other person's position. You'd be surprised if you walk into any any place. The boss is probably looking at the janitor saying, you know what? He doesn't have all these reports to do. He doesn't have all these people to manage. He doesn't have all these things to do. Man, I probably would make a little less money for a little less stress. At the same time, the man that's in there sweeping the floor saying, oh, he got it good. He doesn't have to worry about his bills. He doesn't have to do this. He makes good money. That's how the enemy gets us. He gets us discontent. And we're always worried about what's going on in everybody else's yard. And we're losing. The Bible says that godliness with contentment is great gain. When you learn to be at peace, there are those who've achieved and they've attained but they never enjoy what they've attained. They never enjoy the victory. They're always off to the next carrot. First you wanted $500 in your bank account. Then you wanted 1000 Then you wanted 10 Now you tasted 10 and you got to have 50 Now you got 50 and you got 100 Now you got to have 300 Oh, I'm so close to a million. I got to keep going. And, and, and as soon as the stock market hits, you're about to lose your mind because you think your worth and your value is tied up in that money. How many people during stock market crashes or when Bitcoin crashes or AMC and all these other things happen, jump out of windows because they became an overnight millionaire and then the next day they became an overnight Popper is because their worth was tied up in the wrong thing. 
Coincidentally, we now have a culture of people who are rich in stuff. They're rich in influence and power, but they are bankrupt in peace. They're bankrupt in self-esteem. They're bankrupt in happiness. And most of all, they are bankrupt in joy. In a time where we live in a time and age where we are the most technologically advanced people that we have ever known, we have convenience at our fingertips. That was a time when a computer was big enough to fill this entire room, and now you have a computer in your hand. You can find out anything. You can pay from your phone. You have convenience. You don't have to worry about your bill. You can set your bills and let them just keep going and, and, and go automatically. We live in a life where if you want food, you can go get whatever food you like to eat, and if you're that lazy, you don't even have to go get it. You can pick up an app and hit it, and somebody will bring it to your doorstep for you, but yet somehow we are some of the most unhappiest people that have ever you don't believe me take five miles in traffic and watch how angry and bitter people are and listen to the horns blaring from expensive car i saw somebody in the escalade the other day honking the horn i said why are you angry you riding in the escalade do you know how many people are in that honking and somebody who has a small car that's really not that expensive why are you angry can you not have perspective on life that these things really do not you mad because they cut you off. So you go out and you speed down and you speed past them just to realize that all of y'all get caught by the same stoplight. Yeah. <laughs> Always angry. We have had a culture that has mastered the art of having things. But the problem is that the things have started to have them. They're never at peace because they've chosen things over God. They're often robbed because they lose sight of the fact that with or without those things, the Father loves them. I'm going to give you these three things and I'm going to let you go. Number one, I want you to know that there's absolutely nothing wrong with stuff. If you got a lot of stuff, you got a lot of money, God bless you. Nothing wrong with that. There are all different types of people in the kingdom. That's good, but you need a relationship with Jesus because it's the only thing that will last forever. I talk to people all the time about money. It's my job, and I, I talk to people who, who, who tell me I don't want to be in the stock market. Why? Because I got all this money, and, and the stock market's going to get my money, so I need to move my money to someplace safe. And I say, that's great, but have you thought about inflation? What's inflation? That means that if you have your money sitting in the bank, and it loses 3% in value every year, and you have $100,000, you just lost $3,000 by just sitting there. So why are you trying to save it? You're going to lose it. Instead of thinking rationally with, with a good mind. Because you put more value in keeping it than stewarding it. Jesus tells a parable of a man who, who has a wonderful harvest. And in that harvest, he looks up and he sees his harvest. And we've been talking about my missions month this week. We've been talking about missions because this is we're giving to Nepal and other places and doing things. And thank you, Terry, for the work you're doing. The people are growing hair to give it to children who can't don't have hair. We're doing all sorts of stuff. But he looked and he got 
ready to retire, he looked up and said, my harvest has come in. And then he said, I think I'll take some of this because I have plenty for me and I'll give some to the community. I, I think I'll take some of this and I'll give some to the church so they can save souls. I think I'll take some of this and do something profitable with it or help somebody else or even teach somebody else how to get a better harvest. He said, no, I think I'll, big, I'll, I'll build a bigger barn so I can hold everything that I made. And, and the word of the Lord came to him and said, you fool, tonight your soul is required of you. Now who's going to get everything that's in your barn? It doesn't matter how much you acquire on this earth. It's good to leave a legacy. But at some point in time, somebody else is going to spend what you work for. Don't put your value in stuff. After all, it really boils down not to what we possess, but who possesses us? Does Jesus have your heart? Because you know, life is a funny thing. When we change the way we see it, we change the way we live it. See, if I thought I was late to something, I might risk getting a ticket. I might risk taking more riskier choices. Because I'm late for, for my dinner or whatever it is I have. Because I'm looking at my life and saying, I don't have enough time to get where I need to be. I'm behind. I got to get there real fast. Or I might lose what I was trying to get. But if you know that your seat is already reserved and nobody can sit in that seat but you, if you're a few minutes behind, you react a little bit different. You know why? Because when I get there here or get there at this time, What's mine is when you really realize that God holds you in his hand and what's for you is for you, you can live life a little differently and stop chasing the carrot and just learn to live while you're living. I say that again. Some of us need to learn how to live while we're living. We're being robbed because we're not really living while we're living. And, and when you know that, God will allow you to live. Why? Because you know my father's going to take care of me. My, I'm already reserved. I already have my ticket. I have my ticket in heaven. So if I never have a million dollars on the earth, guess what? It's going to be all right. Because at the end of the day, only what you do for Christ really matters. This weekend, I went to the Secretary of State. I didn't have much time, but I don't like the Secretary of State here. It's a lot like the DMV back home. I was trying to get a license and I looked at all those people and I went to the DMV the first time they told me you guys call it the Secretary of State you got to come back at another day or you can go down to this place so I went down to this place and they said yeah we can take you but you got to go ahead and go outside I got to walk outside yeah you got to go outside and then you got to make an appointment and then we'll see you. I said no that's that's too much work so I, I set up another appointment for another day and I came and I said I don't have much time I was really in a rush and as I walked up I saw this gentleman and he had a petition and he was walking to people just like this and he was running to people like that. And I said, oh, here we go. There are already people in here. It's going to be all day. And he wants me 
to I'm in a hurry. He he gonna want to stop and talk to me, and I really don't feel like talking today. And so what I did was I played slick, brother Dave. I waited and I sat in my car and I timed it till I saw some other people walking. And as he began to catch them, I got out of my car and I ran real quick <laughs> until the Secretary of State, and I missed him. And I said yes, I missed him. And I got in there, I got my stuff done, and I was coming out, and here he was coming, and I was like, man, I really gotta go. But something told me it was in my heart. You need to stop and talk to him. And as I took my time and I stopped and I talked to this young gentleman, he tried to get me to sign a petition. I told him no. And he asked me why, and I began to tell him why. And as we got into a conversation, after about four tries and 30 minutes later, that young man gave his life to Jesus. We value our time. We get in such a hurry. But only the things you do for Christ will last. I made a new friend. He may be watching us today. And if you are, Jonathan, we love you. Welcome to the family of God. We'll, we'll see you when you get here. Whatever church you go to, we, we love you. But guess what? When you change the way you see life, you change the way you live life. When you realize how brief life is, you stop getting in a hurry about everything. And you say, Lord, I want to do something that really matters. All the stuff I've done across my life. How many of you ever been like that and realized a lot of the stuff I did in my life, I really was just spinning my wheels and wasting my time. And I thought it was important and it was really of no consequence. And now that I realize I might not have quite as much time because that's how everybody works. We do age and forward. We don't age in reverse. No matter how young or old you are, you have less time than when you started because the clock is ticking. You start to say, during the time that I have left, I don't want to waste my time. I want to do something that really matters. I don't want to spend my time trying to overachieve everybody because God has leveled the playing field. You don't have to have pressure, like he said, rich man, because at some point in time, that stuff's going to go away. You don't have to be alone. You don't have to be sad. You don't have to be stressed and dejected. God has leveled the playing field. No matter what you have or how much influence, he loves us all the same. You have worth and value if you know Jesus because he has worth and value, and he's on the inside of you. What will you do for Christ this week? The last, I'm challenging everybody that's in here. Stop and speak to somebody you don't know this week. If you're a little nervous and you need a mask, stand six feet back, but stop and talk to them. That one encounter could put a soul in heaven forever. You matter to God. You need to start seeing yourself the way he sees you. Somebody pray with me, Lord. Repeat after me, Lord. Help me to see me the way that you see me. Help me to treat me the way that you would treat me. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this encouragement that you sent through James this morning to let us know that you love us regardless of what we have. You love us regardless of what we don't. 
Lord, that our focus can be pulled off of too much trying to overachieve. Lord God, and it can be focused on trying to serve and please you. And for those of us who you bless to achieve more than others, Father, I pray that you not let anyone get the big head or get caught up in it, but to keep you as the central focus so that they can have stuff without stuff having them. We thank you for that. And we praise you for that. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Somebody give God a hand clap of praise.